scriptures, if you would, and if you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find the sermon text for today printed in your worship guide from Romans 3, uh, looking at uh, verses 27 through, through 31. Of course, Romans uh, is a letter, and anytime you begin to read uh, or resume reading a letter uh, in midstream, it's very important to remember uh, where we've been, what's been said to this point uh, in the letter. And what we see as we come, and we'll read this text in just a moment together, but as we come here to the end of Romans 3, what we see is the Apostle Paul is drawing some conclusions about what he began to say all the way back in chapter 1 at verse 18 and what he's been saying since then. So it really is important for us to be clear about what he's been saying so far. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, to his friends in Rome, to the church there, because Although he longed to visit them in person, which he tells them, he had been unable to do so so far, and he was desperate to preach the gospel to them because he knew that it was through the preaching of the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ that they would be built up, that they would grow in grace, that they would be established as God's people. So he was desperately longing to preach the gospel to them, and if he couldn't do it there in person, a letter would have to do, and so he writes this long letter unpacking the gospel of God's free grace in Jesus Christ and its implications for us. But as we've been seeing the last several weeks, before Paul can get to this good news, this gospel, he first has to be certain that we understand our need for that good news, that we understand our need for the grace of God. And so for several weeks, we've been stressing this crucial, crucial truth that if we don't understand how terribly bad the bad news about ourselves is, then we will never be able to appreciate and, and embrace by faith how wonderfully good the good news of the gospel is in Jesus Christ. And so from chapter 1, 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul builds a case against the entire human race, saying that every one of us is guilty before God. Because of our sin. And since God is God, since he's who he is, a just judge who can't just overlook sin but must deal justly with it, that leaves us, Paul presses home to us in a position of being under the wrath of God. So that what we all deserve, what every man, every woman, every child, every human being born since the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden, what every human deserves is to experience eternally the downward blows of God's judgment against sin. And so Paul's been driving at that for the first two chapters of Romans, backing us, so to speak, into a corner and taking away from us every shred of hope that we can save ourselves. And he shows us that in the presence of a holy God, our mouths are stopped, he says in chapter 3, verse 19. So there's nothing we can say in our own defense And we're brought to recognize that we, along with the whole world, are held accountable to God. This is where Paul begins his letter, pressing home to us the depth of our need and of our inability to save ourselves from the judgment of God. And as a minister of Jesus Christ, as a preacher of the gospel, I am bound to ask every one of you, every one of us here this morning, to be sure that you believe this. Do you believe, have you seen Before the presence of a holy God, your need for his mercy, 
your need to be delivered from the wrath that is to come? Do you believe this? Because, friends, as Paul is saying, if you do not accept this really bad news about yourself, if you really do not own that as the truth about you, then there's no possibility of hope and joy for you, either in this life or the life to come. Because it's only through seeing the truth of your guilt before God that you can be driven to the joy that can be known by those who embrace Jesus Christ, who is freely given to sinners. And then last week we come to Romans 3, verses 21 through 26, and we found these wonderful words there. But now. But now. But now, Paul says, a righteousness from God has been revealed apart from the works of the law. We stand in God's courtroom. Paul's brought us into God's courtroom face to face with our sin and our guilt where we stand hopeless under the judgment of God. And Paul says, oh, but now I have good news for you. I have good news to announce to you. And in the verses that follow, which we looked at last week as how preach this, this passage to us. Paul gives us these big words of the gospel that are greater than all the bad words about our sin. And he says there that God justifies sinners, that he does so freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that this is possible because God sent Jesus, as we read from Isaiah 53 this morning, because God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins through the shedding of his blood. So Paul opens up the good news for us by using these three words, justification, propitiation, redemption. And with each of those words, he, he gives us a different word picture to tell us what has happened at the cross of Jesus Christ for those who believe in him. He says that the cross accomplishes justification, and with that language, he takes us into a courtroom. And he says that though none of us have a righteousness of our own, God in his courtroom reckons us to be righteous. How? On what basis? On the basis of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ given freely to the believer by faith so that you're clothed in the righteous robes of Christ. And you stand not only faultless but right and blameless before God. And he says that the cross also has achieved redemption. And this is the language of the marketplace. It's commercial language which Paul is saying, we were slaves to sin. We were, we were on the slave block because we were owned by our master, which was sin and death. And Jesus comes in and by the shedding of his own blood buys you for himself by his own blood. And Paul says that all of this is because at the cross there was propitiation. And this is temple language. It's sacrificial language. John Stott says so wonderfully, this is propitiation, that God himself gave himself to save us from himself. This is propitiation. This, brothers and sisters in Christ, is the work of the cross achieved for you. What a marvelous gospel. And now as Paul comes to the end of Romans 3, what he wants to do is work this gospel deeply down into us. So that we can see what it means to believe the gospel. What is the gospel? And so that we can see how believing the gospel changes our lives. And so let's give our attention to Romans 3 verses 27 through 31. 
as the very word of God. Paul, having just spoken of this gospel, says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So what Paul is wanting to do now is begin to press this gospel, the implications both of the bad news and the good news, to press the implications of this deeply down into our lives. And he begins by, in a very interesting way, asking four questions in this text. We won't look at all four of them today because particularly the last two Paul takes up in detail in chapter 4. And so we can wait and listen to his fuller answer in the next few weeks. But to give our careful attention, especially to the first two questions that Paul asks, and you notice the first one is this. What then, he says, in light of what we've been saying, what then becomes of our boasting? I think it's a fair question to ask, why is this his first question? Why does Paul ask this question? I think first we need to appreciate that for Paul, This had been a very personal, seriously personal struggle for him as he came wrestled by God to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul talks to the Philippians about this in chapter 3 of that letter. You may remember this. He tells them that before he became a Christian, he was a great guy. And Paul gives us his his self-assessment pre pre-Christ, pre-his knowledge of Christ. He says that before he became a Christian, uh, there was no one in Jerusalem, no one he was aware of among all of his peers who was a more righteous, moral, blameless, religiously zealous and committed person. Paul says there was no one who was my equal in these things. And so he says, before I came to know Christ, before I understood both the bad news of the law and the good news of the gospel, I saw myself as a blameless person before God. And then he tells the Philippians what happened. You remember what he says to them? He says that when he met Christ, when Christ rather came and, and, and found him, his whole, his whole spiritual accounting system was turned on its head. It was all reversed. It was all changed. And what he, what he begins to tell them is that everything in his life that he had considered to be a spiritual asset, a spiritual credit, he came to realize by the grace of God that not only was it not useful, but it was all debit. It was all debt. It was all liability. And he came to see that what he needed was not a righteousness that he'd been trying to weave for himself, but a righteousness, he tells the Philippians, that comes from God, by faith. So this has been a struggle for Paul, this this struggle of boasting. And what he experienced personally was the uprooting of that boasting from his life. 
as he saw that there was nothing in himself worth boasting in. Now, that was a big deal because there was a lot in him, humanly speaking, to boast in. But he comes to realize that all of it is garbage. All of it, literally, is human waste compared, he says, with the surpassing excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And by the grace of God, Paul learned to boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. And that's what he's getting at here in Romans 3.27. He's saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is when you and I understand how deeply helpless and guilty we are upon our own merits, and when we understand the richness of God's free grace in Jesus Christ, it slams the door on our boasting. It slams the door on any self-confidence, any self-righteousness, any self-reliance in the presence of God. And so he says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. I wonder what about us? You see, for Paul, there was a particularly Jewish struggle for him as he had observed the law carefully. And he had to come to terms with the recognition that he wasn't an apostle of Jesus Christ or a, or a Christian now because of his record of obedience. Or now even favored by God because he was a great apostle, but only because he had laid hold of Jesus Christ on his face. What about us? Has boasting crept into your heart? Do you see in your own life struggles with, with self-reliance? One day when Jesus was teaching in the temple a, a group of Jews, he told a story, and many of us are familiar with this, about two men praying in the temple. One was a Pharisee, admired and respected as a religious leader. The other was a tax collector, despised as a traitor. And so as Jesus tells this story, which has a lot to say about the way boasting subtly creeps into our hearts, we need to understand the tax collector would have been immediately viewed as the bad guy and the Pharisee immediately viewed as the good guy. And Jesus turns those expectations upside down as he tells this story. Because Jesus says that the tax collector is the one who goes home, and, and this is what Jesus says, he's the one who goes home justified because of his humble plea for mercy. Because he can't even look up to heaven. He holds his head down, he beats his breast, and he cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he won't even draw near to the others who are standing in the place of prayer. And God says that's the one who goes unjustified, the humble man who pleads for mercy. Meanwhile, the Pharisee, you remember, who would have been viewed as the good guy, did not go home justified, Jesus says. Went home in his sins. Why? Because of his boasting. Now, here's what's interesting, I think, about the story. The Pharisee's praying. He's actually thanking God. So how can that be boasting, right? How could it be boasting if he's thanking God for, God, thank you for your work in my life. Thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you that you've uh, made me to be someone who loves your law and who obeys your law and who uh, loves your temple and loves to be among your people. Thank you that you've not made me like other people, even this, this poor man over here. And you see, that's just it. Because as he stands in the temple, as he stands before God, praying to God, even thanking God, what's he doing? He's looking down his nose at this sinful person over here. And he's become, in his own thoughts, 
superior to this man over here. He's begun to think that there's something about him that makes him better than this other man. And I'm afraid as I look into my own heart, and as we look into our own hearts, as we look into the life of the church of Jesus Christ, the evangelical church, that we're full of this attitude, that we're full of this boasting pride, that we're full of this self-reliance and complacent self-satisfaction before God. And we find it so easy and, and, and we so quickly find that we look down on others as if we're somehow better. And however subtle that boasting is, Paul is saying that when I'm thinking that way, when I'm boasting, when I'm looking at myself and seeing that there's something in me that makes me acceptable to God, or at least more than that guy, then the gospel just still hasn't come home to me. The gospel still hasn't sunk in. And I still haven't seen how deep my need for Jesus Christ is. And I still haven't seen and tasted the, the glorious joy of knowing that God gives Jesus, his son, to the sinner freely and fully at no cost. Because if I've at all understood how wretched and blind and helpless I am, and if I've at all understood how gracious God has been to save me in Jesus Christ, how absolutely free and undeserved this is, then Paul is saying, how could I ever, ever boast in something in me? How could I ever have this air of superiority? It's just unthinkable, but I'm convinced, unless I'm really mistaken, that we do this all the time. And that it comes out in a thousand different ways. Don't, look, don't, don't think that this just means... Uh, obviously arrogant attitudes. That is one way that boasting comes up. But think about two examples. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Because how is the Holy Spirit wanting to use his word in your life to drive you more out of yourself and more into Christ? So think about this. Think about one person who talks incessantly and who's always bragging about his accomplishments and talking about himself. Now, we would be quick, I think, to call that person a boaster. And that person would be a boaster. But what about another person who, who is fearful who lacks confidence, and who can't take even the gentlest correction without falling apart. And I think that God shows us in his word and uncovers in us that that is boasting too. Let me explain that to you. Even though those two people appear different on the outside, what are they both doing? They're both looking inside themselves to themselves to find something acceptable before God and before other people. And the glory of the gospel that Paul preaches is that whether it's the, the, the boasting, arrogant person or whether it's the fearful, boasting person, there is a righteousness in Jesus Christ that is sufficient to stand up before God and that it can be yours for free so that you can stop thinking so much about yourself and start focusing on the Lord Jesus. 
instead of comparing myself with other people, I compare myself with the majesty of God, and then I realize that there's only one righteousness that'll do, and it's that of Jesus Christ. And the gospel that Paul is preaching, you see, is the antidote to both errors. Because it brings me way down low and it shows me my need and my poverty. And then as I lay hold of Jesus by faith, which is a gift of God, that gospel lifts me way up high and shows me the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And tells me that through faith in Jesus plus nothing, plus nothing, plus nothing, the righteousness of God is given to me freely by faith. And in both cases, the focal point is God and not me. So the the gospel, Paul says, completely slams the door on boasting. Now, how does it do that? And that's the second question that Paul asks. He says, by what kind of law? What he means is principle. On what principle is boasting excluded? Let me summarize this very quickly. Faith in Jesus Christ drives boasting out. That's what Paul is saying. That the one who is looking to Jesus Christ in faith, receiving from him what he gives to me, that faith excludes boasting. It pushes it out the door. Now why is that? Because the very essence of faith, the nature of faith, is I'm not looking here, I'm looking here. The essence of faith is that it's looking to the accomplishments of another. It's what we sang this morning. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Has God brought you there? Do you find him bringing you there every day? Nothing in your hands, nothing of your own to bring to God, but simply to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ, simply to rejoice that he has clothed you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That, friends, is faith. Faith is not looking inside yourself for confidence. Faith is looking out to Jesus. And so Paul says, faith by its very nature excludes boasting. If I'm boasting in myself, then I'm not boasting in Christ. Do you see how that works? As soon as I begin to think that my acceptance with God has something to do with my obedience, my position in the church, my level of obedience, anything that I do, as soon as I begin to think that, then one of two things happens. One, I get puffed up and begin to think, too bad, at least better than him, better than her. Or eventually I might give up and run away from God because I can't cut it. And I know that I have no answer for the guilt that that brings. But faith in Jesus Christ dissolves boasting, excludes boasting. As you trust in who he is for you and what he has done for you, there will be no more room left for boasting in yourself. There are two more questions in this text that we won't look at specifically this morning, but we'll see Paul answer those questions later. Essentially, he says, is God the God of of Jews only? No, he's the God of Jew and Gentile, because it's by faith that all men are saved. Anyone who will be justified before God, it will have to be by faith. No matter your background, no matter your experience, no matter your past, no matter who you are, it's only by faith that you can stand right before God. And then he says, well, does this mean we overthrow the law? Does this mean it doesn't matter how you live? 
And he'll get to this very in much detail as he goes on in the letter, but he says, oh, of course not. Because what you find as you come to Jesus Christ is that the law that used to condemn you and push you down now becomes your friend and guides you as you live joyfully to the glory of God. Paul's pointing us to this. We sing this hymn together sometimes. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. How could I gain from his reward? Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. That is boasting in Christ. And as soon as we say that, as soon as that's our boast, boasting in ourselves dissolves and is excluded, is pushed away. And you know what happens when that occurs? When pride and boasting are driven out of your life? What happens is that everything you've been doing to try to convince yourself and God and other people that you're really a good person, everything you've been doing to hide who you really are, all of your weaknesses and insecurities and fears, it all begins to crack up and break away. And you, be, and you see that by God's grace what begins to happen is you, you begin to be freed up to be the person that the Lord Jesus is making you to be because you're standing in him free. And over time, you find that you're able to stop hiding and pretending and actually become that person. You get to the point where you can stop either boasting in what you've done or living in fear because of what you failed to do. And just sit down and rest in Jesus Christ. And enjoy him because he's done for you. He has done for you everything that God requires. Everything. And all that is left for you to do to enter into him and to live in him, to boast in him. You see, Paul is holding this freedom out to us. Where does it come from? It comes from knowing that you're too filthy to clean yourself up. And it comes from knowing that in his son and by his spirit, the father has done everything necessary to cleanse you forever. And it comes from knowing that you're his and that he's yours. And from knowing that his pleasure and love are, are on you. So do you know this today? Do you know this? Are you Christ's? Are you boasting in him? Do you know that you're his and that he's yours? I can't help but think about how wonderful my life would be. How wonderful our life together would be. If all our pride and boasting were pushed out and all we did together was glory in Christ and boast in his cross, is that what you want? Is that what you want for us? This is God's will for us and it is his delight to work this in his people. That we may boast in Christ and not in ourselves. Let's pray. Our Father, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, what a great place to be reminded 
where our boasting is. In Christ's death and resurrection, in his blood shed for us, and his body broken for us. Lord, may we more and more find boasting in self driven out of our lives as we find our delight and our boasting in Christ by faith alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone. And we pray that these things would be the case more and more for us. Work these things deeply in us, we pray, through Jesus Christ. Amen.